Super Talk Mississippi media production. In Mississippi, with our ever-changing weather, termites and household pests can disrupt your family life and take a toll on your home. Call Family Termite and let us help protect your home. 601-933-1014. Or reach us at www.family-termite.com. What is up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Back in the co-host seat is Michael Borky. He uh, had the audacity to have a family and an anniversary and all kinds <laughs> of responsibilities and stuff, as uh, I ripped you for on Sunday's show when Colin had to fill in. I'm uh, glad you after- did. I deserved yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, lamenting at the fact that I had done nothing but nurse a small hangover and watch football while you had the, the, uh, the audacity to uh, have a wife and kid. So... Anyway, we uh, back as promised. Um, as and, I said, and of Sunday, course, it was the first episode of Joey Fresh Potter, too. Like naturally, yeah, I know, I know. Just we couldn't find a time. I was really out of pocket on Saturday, Saturday night with a wedding and some other stuff. Then I had to go to the airport Sunday. It was just a uh, scheduling snafu. But I don't know. Yesterday was the real show, anyway. Um. So, as I promised on Sunday, we'd be back on Tuesday. We'll go Tuesday, Friday this week. I don't really see any need to do another one tomorrow, uh, but we wanted to get one right after. The immediate reaction, of course, to the whole, um, I mean, it was, I'd call it an introductory press conference. It was more of like a pep rally yesterday. And uh, so, we're back at it with that. What's up? Man, pretty crazy day. And it was different because you were actually there and I'm not, but like, just being around the internet was kind of funny because even if it just lasts until the first game and they get beat by 40 and they go four and eight again and everybody's off, off the rails. I've been in Mississippi for a decade. I've been affiliated with Ole Miss since the beginning. That's where I went to college, obviously. Um, And even during the Hugh freeze era, it still didn't feel like this. You know what I mean? I think part of it is because Hugh Freeze had to kind of build some name capital in, in himself. So even though the, the 2012 season was a good one, uh, that team had no business going to a bowl game, and they still did. And then he took a team to a Sugar Bowl. So the program is on an all-time high, but even as they were building, there was still something there. And some people chose to ignore it and talk it and act like it was no big deal. And maybe there was a time where it shouldn't have been a big deal. But while Ole Miss was winning under Hugh Freeze, there was still, yeah, but the NCAA is here. Yeah, but they've got an NOA coming. That was always a secondary story. This is the first time in 10 years, at least, that Ole Miss football is exclusively exciting, where the fan base is excited, and there's nothing coming. You know what I mean? There was always a cloud with you for even the Sugar Bowl. You still knew something's coming. I mean, Laramie Tunsil caught a touchdown pass in the Sugar Bowl, and that season he missed seven games. There was always something else. Yeah, the really only time that the, it was really just the beginning of the freeze where it all felt wholesome isn't the wrong word, but it all felt like, like I guess, real and like there weren't going to be any ramifications for it. And it's, I'm really thinking 13. And most of the 14 year, because you remember they had the whole six and six thing in sec uh, in tw- in 12, and then had the Birmingham Bowl where they brought so many people and drank all the beer out of that crappy stadium and all that, and everyone was really excited. And then 13, they played a uh, they played a lot of teams closer, 
they went to Texas and blew out Texas at the end of the Mac Brown era. They played that was that weird year when SEC when A and M came in the SEC. So they had to go to Oxford twice, and Ole Miss had to go to Tuscaloosa back to back years. And they played a not really close, but I, that game was like twenty three to three or twenty three to six or something like that. They belonged like on the that. same field with Alabama. And then you kind you could kind of feel the rise. You can finally feel them getting better. Although I I believe they only finished eight and five that year with a bowl win over Georgia Tech. Yeah, you it can was feel six something. and six, seven and five, eight and four, nine and three. Right, and so you like at that point you could kind of feel something brewing, and you could kind of sense something like the fourteen year was coming. Probably not the uh, entirety of that, but then uh, to your point, after that, uh, the weight of the NCA really kind of set in, and it became a kind of balancing act between on the field and off the field stuff. Which I guess with Lane Kiffin, it could eventually become that. I don't know. He like as he talked about yesterday, he says he's changed man and like all this stuff and. I, I'm not dis- discounting that. I guess just time uh, time will tell whether that's the case. But, yeah, I mean, the excitement level yesterday was really unlike anything you've seen since 2014, 2015-ish. Because even with the off-the-field stuff in 15, when they did beat Alabama, the campus and really just the state was kind of uh, going nuts. So It was still pr- pretty wild. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to say, and I didn't do it well, is Hugh Freeze had to build up capital to become the rock star that he – ended up being there for a little while. Lane Kiffin does not have to build up one second of capital. He's already a rock star, is what I was trying to say. Yeah, no, no, I, absolutely. I, I, I definitely definitely agree with that. Uh, sorry, not. I'm kind of distracted here. I just, as we were recording this, Seth Emerson, of he covers Georgia for the Athletic, is saying Matt Luke to Georgia's offensive line coach is not official yet, but appears to be uh, basically done is what he's saying. Interesting. That's good for him, man. Uh, and, and what's crazy about that is in his contract, this won't offset his buyout. Can you believe that? I mean, Jimmy Sexton is is a mastermind, but Ole Miss agreed to a contract with the interim coach, who was the former offensive line coach, after winning the Egg Bowl, that if you fired him and he took another job, there is no offset language. Ole Miss, even if Matt Luke gets a million dollars a year at Georgia, Ole Miss still has to pay him his full buyout. Can you believe that? Yeah, that is. They were uh, negotiating against nobody, and they still had that in his contract. Yeah, I wonder, almost wonder if there's some element of that that where Ross was so far. I, I'm, 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 I'm speculating here. I don't know this really at all to be true. Um, though I kind of have a hit. I wonder if there was some element of Ross being so pissed off that that hire was taking out, taken out of his hands that he was just kind of like, you know, whatever. I'm probably not going to be around to see this out anyway. Oof. Well, uh, it's going to cost Ole Miss a lot of money. I mean, yeah. if you're Ole Miss, thank God that Keith Carter hired Lane Kiffin because the financial trouble, at least in the short term, is not going to be an issue anymore. I mean, as you heard I assume you heard the conversation immediately after his press conference where Keith said by the time the press conference started that day, they had already had 500 new season ticket deposits. So yeah, I mean, you, the, the financial thing will take care of itself. But if, if they, if they'd have hired Billy Napier, I keep throwing that name out there. That $3.5 million this year is, I mean, that was going to hurt really bad. 
Oh yeah, no, you're you're definitely right about that. Let's uh here. I'm going all over the place here. Let's put Matt Luke on the back burner for a second. But to sure. your point about the season ticket thing, uh, I mean, you could see that in the crowd yesterday. I mean, the athletic department, when I asked, I was putting a number in the story that I wrote. They said 4,000 people. I think it was in more likely between two and three. But there were a lot of people in there sipping half-price beer. Like, it was more of like a pep rally and a production type of deal than it was really an introductory press conference. People were excited after really not being excited at all. And you could – you could certainly sense it, and like he, he, I mean, I thought Lane Kiffin handled it pretty well. I mean, he looked, and to some, on some levels, he did kind of look exhausted. I mean, he won conference championship game, hopped on a plane, probably hasn't slept very much, but uh, I thought he handled everything yesterday pretty well. I thought he had some interesting things to say about analytics in the way he's that's kind of changed the way he looks at coaching because he was talking about on decisions. A lot of times, coaches are scared to face uh, face the press conference afterward. Uh, instead of making the correct, the uh, analytically correct decision, uh, and so he's basically saying he, they were scared of it because then he pointed at us was like because you guys are going to rip them. So I guess what I'm saying is get ready to rip me, which I found uh, to be an interesting, uh, interesting one of many interesting lines he dropped yesterday. But yeah, I mean yesterday was quite the scene, and like that was like to me yesterday was like the, uh, I guess the like tangible embodiment of what Keith Carter was trying to do when he elected to make this change. Cause he knew this place. I think he described it even uh, as a shot in the arm. They certainly needed it. And I'm pretty sure something like yesterday is what he had in mind is when he, when he elected to fire Matt Luke. And then when he settled on Kiffin as well, yeah, the analytics answer, uh, it was so refreshing. I mean, because especially in the bull band years for all the good that Matt Luke did at Ole Miss and, as we talked about, I think it was last week uh, on this podcast, that Ole Miss fans will, down the road, look fondly on Matt Luke because, again, what Hugh Freeze did should have cratered the program. And it didn't because he worked hard and the kids played hard for him and he recruited well enough to uh, provide a talented enough roster to attract a guy like Lane Kiffin to your school instead of Arkansas. But the, the biggest knock on him was poor game management and then conservatism. You were, I mean, you were in bowl ban years at Ole Miss, and you were playing overly conservative. And that's just – it It never made any sense. It, it was too safe. And hearing him say that, I know – I'm in a group text. You should have seen what some of the people were saying about that answer in particular. Like, it's about damn time football will be fun. That instead of in a three-score game when it's fourth and goal from the one in Baton Rouge, you kick a field goal to keep it – a three-score game, you have a coach that's going to go for it now. You have a coach that's not going to kick a low-percentage field goal that you know you're probably going to miss just because that's what you're supposed to do. He mentioned that exact scenario, that he's going to start going for it a little bit more because the percentages say that you should go for it, especially with Ole Miss's kicking problems. The conservatism was a huge knock in the negative column for Matt Luke. You, ha you had nothing to lose for the last three years. Even in the Egg Bowl, I mean, if Elijah Moore doesn't fake PP like a dog, they're still kicking an extra point. What have you got to lose? And now they finally have a football coach that won't frustrate you with how conservative they are. And that is so refreshing to so many people. Yeah, I think it helps in other areas as well. And, like, in football, I don't think it's like baseball where, like, the nerds have taken over baseball to where, like, if you're not in analytics, they're basically just going like, to banish you from the game now. I mean, how the GMs are basically handing 
uh, coaches' lineup cards. In football, I don't think you have to be huge into it, but I do think you need to at least kind of consider it and take some of this stuff into account when, which, with what you're talking about in terms of game management, particularly late in games, because I think it will help coaches uh, shy away from, uh, I guess, making dumb decisions. And like, I, I mean, whether it's timeout usage or electing to go for it on fourth down, or as you mentioned, the field goal. I don't think you always have to go by the numbers on stuff like that because obviously there is kind of a context to everything within a football game to whereas baseball is so like baseball to me is more cut and dry in terms of situational things to where pretty much the numbers are always going to tell you what you need to do where football. I don't think that's always the case, but to completely ignore it at all, like at all, like a la Jason Garrett is just kind of dumb. Like I, I think right. there's a nice yeah. balance to be struck in between and like to, to ignore all of that. Is, is is just dumb. And to your point about the conservative nature of Matt Luke, that's one of the things that really didn't help him curry any favor with the fan base. And for a guy that was already kind of behind the eight ball in terms of fan support anyway, if he was just like Ron Rivera on steroids and going for it on like 40% of four downs with inside three yards or something like that, I think people would have at least respected it a little more. Because, I mean, what the hell do you have to lose? Exactly. And... uh and it didn't sound like he was going to be a guy that will live and die by the analytics, but it's certainly something that they're going to use. Which, um, and I like the the phrase he used. And this is very press conferencey, but uh, the old school mentality in a modern style, like that kind of stuff resonates with people. It doesn't mean anything. Like, what does that mean? Nothing really. But that kind of stuff resonates with people. That's what they wanted to hear because. You saw it with Arkansas yesterday with their new head coach. I mean, that press conference was so similar to what you heard from Matt Luke's introductory press conference at Ole Miss. Blue-collar mentality, run the football, love Arkansas, dream job, getting emotional, all that. It it was so similar. And at Ole Miss, you're not going to have a blue-collar mentality, run the football, and beat Alabama and LSU. Because they're going to have better players than you are, and it has to be different. That's why Hugh Freeze won, because he had a a different thing. An offense that relied on playmakers, which is something you can get Ole Miss. You're never going to have a defensive line more talented than LSU and Alabama's. You're just not. But you can go get playmakers in space and have a, a unique offense that gets them the football and beat people. You're not going to beat Alabama lining up and running 70% of the time. But you can beat Alabama spreading some explosive receivers out that you can get and throwing the football a bunch. That's how you can beat Alabama. That's how you can beat LSU. You're not doing it by running the football. And Pittman at Arkansas yesterday, if I, if I was an Arkansas fan, I'd be terrified. Because you're going back. You went from Bielema to Chad Morris. Now you're transitioning back to a Bielema-style type of football. And that's not going to work there. Yeah, but I don't really even know what you're. I know we're jumping around here, but it doesn't really matter. Like I don't even know what you're what you're doing there. Like Memphis, not Memphis. Excuse me, Missouri kind of bungled the front end of their search, and it looked like they were really scrambling, and it was on the verge of turning into a mess. And they hired Eli Drinkowitz to while yeah, he's young. It's a little bit of a risk, and he's unproven. But no one's looking at that nationally and thinking, oh yeah, they're sunk, or who the hell is that guy? Like. I would actually, I mean, people in the industry, particularly kind of putting out feelers and trying to get a feel for who Ole Miss might hire early in the process, everyone that knew anything about that guy was talking about, oh, yeah, this guy is on a uh, quick, he and Healy were kind of the two young names, like these two guys are on a quick upward ascension. This guy's the real deal. 
towards Arkansas. Do you have two or three more of those guys out there? I mean, what would it hurt if you had hired Fritz or Napier? I know Fritz is a little bit older, but like, I, not to be disrespectful, I know he's a good offensive line coach and a good recruiter, but like, I imagine more people than not yesterday were sitting there thinking, who the hell is Sam Pittman? Exactly. And, I mean, if you just look at his, his resume, and it, it worked for Clemson because Dabo was never a coordinator, but Clemson is an outlier, and Dabo Sweeney is an outlier. I mean, this is a guy that has been an offensive coordinator, Rippy, one time in his coaching career, and it was in 1986 at a high school. He has been an offensive line coach slash associate head coach since 1986 at a bunch of high schools, community colleges, Northern Illinois, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Northern Illinois, North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Georgia, Arkansas. There's a reason for that. There's a reason Eli Drinkwitz has been a head coach for one year and was pers- – I mean, he was looked into by more than just Missouri. It, 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 even if he didn't get a job this year, he was going to get one next year. There's just a reason for that. I, I would be furious if I was an Arkansas fan today. Yeah, not to be a smartass, but that is still technically more coordinator experience than Matt Luke. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't get that. It's so – <laughs> while you're looking on the, uh, but looking on the other side of it, kind of, I guess mirroring the way the Arkansas search and the Ole Miss search ended, because it is interesting, and I think there's probably a story to end up being written at some point about this, to where it's two programs, and we've talked about it four times on the radio show. It feels like in the last like six months, where you get into the, uh, you know, first take style debate, what's a better job, Arkansas and Ole Miss? Well, they essentially just kind of went after pretty much all of the same candidates and the one that they both wanted Ole Miss got and Arkansas didn't. And so, I don't know, it's interesting to me to whereas, like, the, I feel like there's another risk out there for Missouri to take, because make no mistake about it, Lane Kiffin is 100% a risk. Like, there's really no getting around it. But yesterday, like, the short-term, the short-term, I guess, uh, payoff of that risk are scenes like yesterday, scenes at the Pavilion, you know, the 500 seat ticket sales numbers, whatever the, whatever it was that Carter threw out yesterday, to whereas Arkansas not only whiffed on that, they, they went with the least, like they went with the most like risk averse thing possible. Like I didn't even know Sam Pittman was like a guy that could even get a, a head coaching job anywhere at this juncture. Like I, I loosely knew who he was, but I'm not going to be, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know anything about him. I didn't even know he was in the running for, like was he in the running for any other jobs? I don't understand no. this. It's he, man. I tell that press conference yesterday was eerily similar to the one at Ole Miss in 2017. I mean, he used the same terminology. He loves Arkansas, dream job. He got emotional a couple of times. Like that's why he's there because he was an offensive line coach at Arkansas, and there were a few former players that like campaigned for him. It's eerily similar to what happened at Ole Miss in 2017. Well, yeah, and then both of those, you end up looking at the press conference and feeling bad for the guy in the chair because it's like the greatest moment of his life, but everyone in the room is sitting there thinking, this guy's sunk. I mean, it was the same thing with Matt Luke. You knew from the start that that wasn't going to end well. I guess this has a better chance of ending up better just because you're not behind the eight ball in terms of scholarships and NCA stuff and all the other crap Matt Luke kind of had to deal with, particularly in the interim year. But, like, I looked at – I not only watched pieces of it, mainly because Richard was pointing out that he was wearing a uh, – red tie on a black shirt and was just flummoxed by that decision. But like, <laughs> I was looking at that 
I was looking at that and sitting there thinking, this guy sunk. I know I'm not the only one probably sitting there looking at that press conference yesterday that thought that. Yeah, and this, well, he's a great recruiter. Maybe so. But is it really that difficult to recruit at Georgia? No, those places recruit themselves. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, that that is a – and they got a multiple-week head start over everybody else. That's what makes it even crazier. Is they they were what four weeks ahead of Ole Miss in the pursuit of Lane Kiffin, and I know the people up there swear up and down that oh you know we moved on from him we didn't really want him that's complete bullshit like entirely they wanted him they lost him like that that's how that happened but to go from Lane Kiffin to this guy seems like you're missing a bunch of steps in between because like. We, we talked about old Mrs. Search before Kiffin was the guy. They had, what, five candidates that all you would have looked at and thought, you know, that's a pretty good hire. Some better than others, obviously, but their backup plan, their plan C and D and E, were still better than this guy, at least on paper. Now, who knows if it works out, but still, like, the, the entire structure of old Mrs. Search made so much more sense than Arkansas. Maybe the way to go is just to rush it and give yourself as little time as possible because Ole Miss had like four months or five months a couple years ago and botched that. That was really to no fault of Bjork's as we've been over at nauseum. But like Florida State got a head start on theirs and like they ended up with a decent candidate. But you can't tell me that was organized organized, uh, search and the kind of same thing with Arkansas. I'm mostly joking here, but like, my God, like it seems like the more time you have, the more time people overthink it. Um but I guess takeaways from yesterday, he, uh, I thought Kiffin was, uh, he seemed fairly relaxed for a guy that probably hasn't slept very much. He was uh, very self-deprecating. He seems a lot more, and I did, I'm not going to pretend to know Lane Kiffin, but just I mean, uh, before, you know, an hour ago, or I, I mean a day ago, but like before that, I, uh, I mean, he, he seems, I guess what I'm trying to say is he seems more self-aware than he once did. Um, I mean, he was, he made the joke about, uh, you know, he, the tarmac experience on Sunday night being better than the one, he, you know, the one he's had before. And he was like, I think the anniversary is coming back up. Someone asked him about his propensity for kind of bouncing around to different stops and not staying at some place. And he said, you must not have seen how big my buyout is. Um, I, I thought he handled all of that pretty well. Uh, he seemed very calm. He is definitely going to end up coming from the Saban school of media to where we will probably never talk to his coordinators. Um and he will be very. And that's kind of, okay, uh, though, right? I mean, you would prefer to be able to talk to them, but I mean, it, it, I, I see a handful of fans get bothered by that, and it's like, do you really need to hear from them during the week? I know it would be better for us if we could, but it, it, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Uh, no, I would prefer to talk to the DC because there's really no in, in a Lane Kiffin run program. Is there really any need to talk to the offensive coordinator other than like no. what's going on in the quarterback's head? Not really. And Kiffin's really probably known more of as a developer for quarterbacks than Kendall Bryles or whoever he might, um, whoever he might bring in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought yesterday he handled everything everything pretty well. I Again, as I kind of wrote yesterday, like, this is what Keith Carter envisioned. I don't know if this is going to work, but, like, he definitely broke the status quo to whereas if Keith Carter hadn't stood up to the people he stood up to and kind of kind of broken the whole, well, this is the way we have, this is the way we've always done things type of deal, you would have ended up with Billy Napier and that thing probably would have been in the Manning Center. And 
Actually, I don't know that. I shouldn't say that. But the, with the you wouldn't have had the scene you had yesterday, and I don't even think it would be particularly close. I don't think Mike Norvell would have given you the scene that you had yesterday. He would have been the closest, but I still agree. And he'd have been a damn good hire. The people at Florida State that are mad about hiring Mike Norvell, they're all idiots, every single one of them. Yeah, I think he'll be good, too. And I, the reason I think he would have been the closest for Ole Miss, because in a lot of these things, it seems like whoever the name you float out there as your number one guy, like, like honestly, if I was an AD and I knew I wasn't going to get my number one guy, I would say the guy that I think I'm going to get is the number one guy, just so people think you didn't whiff on anybody. Like, Because I think Norvell would have gotten that just from the, from the perspective of every bit of information that was leaked out there is that they wanted him first. And if that didn't happen and they went to Florida State, they were going to move on. Obviously, this seems like one hell of an option, too, from an interest standpoint. But, yeah, I, I think that he would have generated the closest. But, again, it, I mean, it's a polarizing figure. It's, it's Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's coached to the NFL. He's coached to USC. He's coached to Tennessee. He's been in the national news for both the right and wrong reasons. Like, he, is, uh, he, he brings attention with him everywhere he goes. He's, he, he's tweeted on a Hugh Freeze level so far. Not like Hugh Freeze, but if you're talking about quantity of tweets, he's, uh, he's pumping the content out there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so different, and it's really edgy and funny and entertaining. And as you mentioned, you saw some of that yesterday. I think I told you last week that he's not some dynamic speaker. I don't know if you could tell from your vantage point, but and maybe it was the big ass scoreboard behind him. But he was—I mean—he was sweating during his his speech. The press conference, he looked a lot more comfortable than the the speech, the pep rally. That looked like more of his setting. Uh, but he, you know, he was—he looked a little nervous and stuff. But he said the right things. He's never going to be your dynamic rah rah speaker. He's going to have that dry, quick wit humor that you saw yesterday. The the suit thing with Jimmy Sexton because he's gotten fat and Jimmy's lost weight, so he had to wear Jimmy's suit because he grew out of all of his. Uh, the the buyout thing, that kind of stuff is is peak Lane Kiffin. His speech was fine. It, it was good, but it's not that rah-rah stuff that that you get from other coaches. That's more of who he is. And you could tell in the two different settings that he was far more comfortable in the smaller room with the media guys than he was on a stage in front of a couple thousand people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he probably, he's so human. He's probably nervous. There's a lot of people going nuts for him yesterday. Like in that, it was funny. His kids look bored as hell though. Like dad's up here. Got all these people cheering for him. And the kids were sitting on stage like, God, when can we go eat? Like, this sucks. God, like give me, (laughs) They, they could not have cared less about being up there. It was hilarious. There was uh, some gentleman on the road that I was uh, on the I had to be towards the front row because it was right behind where I was sitting. Uh, that was a huge Knox Kiffin fan, and I think he had dipped into the half price beer a little bit. But uh, he was uh, he was uh, he was making sure uh, he knew that uh, Knox he was excited to have Knox Kiffin in Oxford. That uh, he was he was fired up. But yeah, I mean, and what's <laughs> What's funny to me, it's like he's like an hour, a couple hours before he's about to go do that press conference. He's tagging Tennessee football and Ole Miss football, asking if he needs to change his son's name. I don't know if you saw. Yeah, I mean, he <laughs> said, "Do we have to change his name?" <laughs> like, I know Ole Miss would probably prefer a, a head coach after he freezes it doesn't tweet very much, but I feel like this is a much different kind. Like this, this, this feels like it plays. Like to me, in a lot of ways, this seems well, like a because he's not going to invite an NCAA investigation on Twitter, 
And he's not going to release a statement accusing a man that would obviously have dirt on your program, a domestic abuser, in an official statement. What Lane will do on Twitter is quirky and fun and kind of silly and just whatever. He will not draw any real negative attention on Ole Miss via social media. Like, he, that won't happen. He won't do it. Right. <laughs> just, I don't know, like, reading those things out loud is just, it's just a cla- very casual one-liner. Just says, do we have to change his name? Two question marks at ball football at Ole Miss football. Anyway, um, I don't know why I got such a big kick out of that. But obviously he talked about, without saying Grant Tisdale's name, he said Grant, he basically t- basically tipped off that Grant Tisdale was coming back. Then Tisdale, of course, announces it on Twitter a couple hours later, which it, this is really interesting to me. And this seems like an indictment on Rich Rodriguez is that like the way Kiffin described it yesterday is that he said that this said player who, I mean, let's be honest, it was Tisdale. It's called spade a spade here. Uh, came up to him and said that he had entered his name in the transfer portal. He didn't feel like he was being developed as a player here, but now that they hired Blaine Kiffin, whatever he said, I'd like, uh, I'd like to take my name out if you'll have me. And of course, I'm sure Kiffin said yes because that's uh, because he later announced it happening. But like, I thought him saying because I wasn't developing as a player was interesting to me. Do you think that is? just your typical this is why I want to get out of here like when the real reason is there's three quarterbacks or do you actually think he wasn't felt like he was being developed under Rich Rodriguez I found that fascinating probably a combination of both right because you could clearly see the direction of that football program was not going to be one that a quarterback that is a primary passer uh, was going to play in not not just not have success in was not going to play in they were all in, and they still might be. I mean, Lane Kiffin might see Plumley and think that he can win a bunch of games with him. But they were they were 100% all in on run first, pass if we absolutely have to, and even then maybe we won't do that all that well. You had receivers leaving, and, and the spin was, oh, well, these are guys that don't play that much. It's like, well, how do you know? Or, oh, these guys, are they're not playing that well. They only have caught this many passes. It's because they don't throw the damn ball. I mean, how do you know that DeMarcus Gregory isn't producing? When you have an offense that doesn't throw the football, you have no idea. And it sounds like, I guess, he's coming back as well. Um, That was a program that was heading in a direction that was not attractive to real quarterbacks. I'm talking throw-first quarterbacks. That was a program that was heading in the direction that was not attractive for wide receivers. And maybe, I mean, how many NFL quarterbacks has Rich Rodriguez ever had? Mm, I can't think of any. See, there you go. So maybe it wasn't so much developing because John Rice Plumley was going to get better. Rich Rodriguez, I mean, we have 20 years of data that shows that he can run an offense and run a successful offense. But if you want to be a true quarterback, it's not the system you want to run. So maybe not being developed is probably... Not the best choice of words, but it's more so they were running a system that doesn't work for me. Well, I mean, I think that kind of plays. Like, if you're not being developed as a passer, yeah, it's because you're same running thing, that right? very strange offense. Yeah, I, I think that word choice probably plays. But, yeah, I, I found that interesting. Obviously, DeMarcus Gregory announced he's coming out of the transfer portal. Um, and then – I don't know if this is out there yet or not. I, I kind of unplugged after that thing last night. 
But uh, I do, I was told last night that uh, Jacob Peeler will not be retained uh, a part of this new staff, which I found a little bit interesting. But obviously, I mean, you can't ever really be totally surprised when anyone's not retained when a new staff comes in. Uh, I don't really know what that does for the receiver room. I'll be interested to see who Kiffin kind of brings in there as far as a uh, as far as a hire. But uh, I kind of came across that last night, so that'll be something to monitor. I don't think that's a huge deal. Um, I really don't think so either. I mean, I got a text a good, last night. A, they can both be true. He's a good coach, and I think he's a good recruiter. But again, I don't think that's a huge deal, even if that's even if that is true. Like that, he is a good coach and a good recruiter, which I believe him to be. Yeah, I got a, a text from a very unhappy friend last night about it, and it just this is what you get when you have coaching turnover. I mean, I. There was a picture last night of, of Lane. He actually brought his son, son along on, on a recruiting dinner, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, I, I forget the kid's name. I don't follow recruiting, but they were visiting with a recruit last night. They Knox. went to dinner up in um, – Oh, no, you're talking about the recruit's name. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the recruit's name. I thought uh, you meant the son's name. I was like, we just talked about this. <laughs> uh, but it, it was Kiffin and uh, I guess the, the kid and, and a parent of the kids, but you had like Freddie Roach uh, on the trip with him. You had Jacob Peeler there. Um, Tyler Siski was there. Mike McIntyre was there. Um, I guess Derek Nix is going to be retained, but I mean, if it's any more than that, I'd be surprised when you get a new coach, you have turnover, even though that staff has recruited pretty well and evaluated pretty well. It's still a staff that went four and eight. So if they lose a guy like Jacob Peeler, who by all accounts is a good recruiter and a good dude and all that, it's not the end of the world. It's to be expected. I think any coach that's retained is more of a surprise than coaches being let go because it's a new staff. You heard the guy talk yesterday. It's going to be different. The way they operate the program is going to be different. So different guys need to come in and carry out that operation. So if they keep Mike McIntyre, that's fine because he did a very good job with that defense last year. But I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. Like recruiting people, like if Siski – was just if they decided to let him go maybe that's a surprise but anybody on that staff if they decide to go a different direction you shouldn't be surprised or upset or anything this is just what happens so i i just put up said picture it appears to be yeah like you said siski roach wilson love mac and is that that's not Nick's, is it? It might be the kid, the, the recruit's dad, maybe. Possibly, he's got some sick land shark gear on though. That's not. That oh no, sick. then it's not. Uh, um. Either yeah. way, the point is, I mean, there's yeah. still, uh, it, and it's still a small staff, and who knows? I mean, he still could move on from Mike McIntyre. Like that's still entirely possible. But while Mike McIntyre is getting paychecks from Ole Miss, he's got to work for Ole Miss. Yeah, and then you know Nate Gabler of the Oxford Eagle reported on Saturday that they're uh, that uh, Mike McIntyre is expected to be retained. I uh, again, I tried to dig around. I have not heard that, but that's interesting that he was there last night, though, because that's an uh, interesting sign. Because at least two of the people in that photo, obviously, I mean, they can't be retained because they were just brought on. But like that's that's certainly an interesting sign. I think as we mentioned on. Sunday show, uh, I, I think one of the th- I've named three things I think Lane Kiffin should do. 
And I said, kick the tires on keeping Mike McIntyre. I think he should absolutely keep Siski. And then I kind of struggled to, I can't remember what my third one was now, but that was, uh, that was one of them because I think if you're going to try to hold, particularly with the early signing period coming up, I think Siski's a good recruiter. I think he takes a different approach than a lot of people do. And I think it works. I mean, you, I mean, it, they hit on just about everyone in that 19 class. I mean, look at Snoop Connor, a guy that that's one guy I know Siski, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, uh, kind of had a little bit maybe of a chip on his shoulder about to where it's like apparently some of the sentiment was why are they taking that kid? And then, of course, it turned out to be a huge success. I think the way they evaluate kids is different than a lot of places, and I think it works. And particularly at this 19 class, or I guess it's technically be the 20 class, um, trying to keep it as together as possible, I think it would be a smart move to keep him. Uh, and it seems to be it might be trending in that direction, um, but I, I don't know. Agree, disagree? Yeah, it, I mean, if he's on the road recruiting, that might be a pretty good sign that they're keeping him around. Eh, eh, we'll see in the next few days uh, what that staff looks like. There are uh, a lot of people that think that, I mean, even Cole Kubelik, and there's not many people that are more connected in SEC football circles than him. And, that, I mean, he has said multiple times now that he thinks the staff that Kiffin's going to put together is one that's going to be one of the best recruiting staffs in the SEC. And, uh, I mean, we'll just have to see what it is. I mean, it's 10 guys, right? And uh, so he's got a lot of hires to be making between now and then. But uh, there was some hand-wringing over the lack of news from the staff perspective last night and it's just you know it's today's day two of his tenure like he's going to put a staff together it'll be complete probably by the end of the week they'll be fine and a guy like him is going to be able to put together a really really good staff even if it's not like Pete Golding who apparently is going to stay with Alabama they will be just fine yeah, I got. I completely agree there. I yeah. I mean, it takes time. I I'm, I'm not shocked in the slightest that people are uh, impatient about a about a uh, about a staff hire. Uh, you know, or a lack of staff hiring. You know, a day into the job. But yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see kind of how he pieces together his staff. Um, keeping McIntyre will be interesting because I would think. I mean, that's that's the side of the football that Kiffin's going to give basically complete autonomy to, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter who the offensive coordinator is. I mean, it matters, but it's 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 not, as, not to really. me it's not as significant as the other side of the ball. And that'll be interesting to me because again, that's kind of the side of the ball that he's going to give more autonomy to. And Mac did a really good job, um, you know, with a defense that was horrible in 2018, and they weren't great in 2019, but they weren't horrible. And so I, I wonder if that is enough. And Mac seems like a guy that's much slower to kind of creep back into another head coaching job if he wants one than, say, Rich Rodriguez was. Um, and so I don't think Mac would mind sticking around for another year or two if afforded the opportunity. And it'll be interesting if Kiffin kind of what he decides there. Because, um, you know, I, I think – I don't really think there's much of a downside, is it? I mean, either way. Like, if you want to no, bring there's in your not. Own guy, you want to bring in your own guy, but there's a pretty solid incumbent option. Exactly. And what he did with that defense, I mean, they were in so many games last year that they couldn't close a deal because of their defense. They were in the the Memphis game. They were in the Texas A&M game. They were in the Auburn game. There's one more I'm missing. Um, Mississippi State. Th those are four games that they could have won because they got enough from their defense to be able to win it. Uh, the, the difference 
just from philosophy and play calling and the fact that they were lined up correctly before the ball was snapped and seemingly did not look confused all the time is just a miracle considering where they came from. And then at the very beginning of the season, they lose their best middle linebacker and have to rely on a couple of JUCO guys to be impact guys at the linebacker spot and on the defensive line. Yes, the secondary still got eaten alive, but part of that was due to the same personnel still not being any good and the fact that they had to play three true freshmen in the defensive secondary. There were going to be growing pains on that defense regardless of who was calling it. If it was freaking Bill Belichick, they still would not have been a good defense last year. But the difference from 2018 to 2019 with largely the same personnel is worth at least being encouraged by if you decide to keep them around. Yep, I totally agree. I'll kind of be fascinated by that side of it. Um, aside from that yesterday, I didn't really have a ton of other, like, just kind of sweeping takeaways. I, I think he's got a little bit of Andy Kennedy in, to him in terms of, like, kind of a deadpan wit, which will be, uh, which will be, I guess, <laughs> welcome back, because I do miss listening to Andy Kennedy talk, and nothing against Matt Luke, but he was very, very boring. Uh, so that'll be kind of interesting well, he also, um, you know, really cared so much about the Egg Bowl because that was a very important question that needed to be asked yesterday. <sighs> yeah, I, 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 Richard came in talking about that yesterday before we were on air. I, I know the reputation of said person who asked the question kind of doesn't really warrant the benefit of the doubt, but I do wonder if he's there. On, I mean, I mean, we'll just that had to have been an assignment. There's, there's no, no reason to be cryptic. It's the Clarion Ledger beat writer, the Mississippi State beat writer. I think he was there on assignment. I, I just there's no way in the world he goes there on his own. You know, yeah, strong if, agree. But whoever sent him there, that that was bad. Yeah, I was just trying to put myself in that in that in my shoes in that situation. And like, do you ask the old Miss guy, your old Miss counterpart, to ask that question? Because that really doesn't make him look a ton better, but at least it becomes less weird. And the question was so long-winded that it was just kind of painful to get out. And I'm honestly not sure until he said either in-state or Mississippi State, I don't remember which one he said, that Lane Kiffin had any idea what school he was referring to. If you told him or asked him about the Egg Bowl, he probably didn't know what that was. And the thing is, like, and I guess I kind of understand the question because, as we've talked about, there has been uh, for for two decisions now. I don't think – see, and I saw somebody that also um, does things for the Clarion Ledger yesterday suggest that Elijah Moore's PP celebration was the reason that the, – the reason that Matt Luke got fired, and that's not true. That's the reason why they lost the game. That turned into 4-8. and eight. That turned into obvious fan apathy. But if they had gotten beat 35-10 to – the same result was coming. It wasn't the PP celebration. It was that they got beat to go four and eight, and everybody was out. Nobody gave a shit. That's why they had to move on because nobody was there anymore to support the program. And I, I don't think it had anything to do with the PP celebration. I think that was just the icing on top of the already nicely made cake that got Matt Luke fired. I don't think it had anything to do with the celebration. It just, that was the reason why they lost the game. Long winded way to say, Ole Miss and Mississippi State both have made decisions because of the outcome of an Egg Bowl. That's why Matt Luke got that hired in 2017, because he won an Egg Bowl. And that's why Joe Moorhead got retained. If he'd have lost that game, they would have fired him, which I think 
is a very bad precedent to set if you're Mississippi State and if you're Ole Miss. Mississippi State, if you know that Joe Moorhead doesn't fit, if you know he doesn't work, end it and let him go. Doesn't matter if he wins the Egg Bowl or not. That shouldn't be what makes your decisions. Uh, I think I think it was on the Sunday show where I said, if Ole Miss and Mississippi State start acting like big-time programs, start acting like, yes, the Egg Bowl is important, just like the Iron Bowl is important, but Auburn and Alabama care so much about other things besides that game, well, that just becomes a fun week. That becomes an important week. But that is not what the program's goals are. That is not what changes the face of their two programs is how they are in that game. If Ole Miss and Mississippi State decide to start acting like big-time programs and are above that game, then they could win a lot more than they currently do. And I said that Egg Bowl week and got accused of not knowing what I'm talking about because I'm from South Carolina, but the reality is Ole Miss made a decision that is above the Egg Bowl. They had a they hired a coach that doesn't even really know what it is. And yeah, he'll care during the week of it. And he understands that you should beat your rivals. But this is a guy that played or coached, not played, but coached in USC Notre Dame. This is a guy that coached in Iron Bowls. The Egg Bowl's not any more important than those two games. The Egg Bowl's not any bigger than those two games. He gave an appropriate answer. Yeah, it's important to beat your rivals, but everybody's got a rival. We we got goals bigger than that. That's how both Ole Miss and Mississippi State should act and treat that game. It's important. You want to win it. But it's one football game. We got bigger goals than that. I guess while we're on that subject, just a quick sidebar, because we do have some state people that listen to the show, believe it or not. Shout out to the few of you out there. If you're Joe Moorhead, what are you thinking of this hire and what are you thinking today? Like, are you shaking in your britches? Are you not really concerned at all because you've got enough problems on your hands there? Are you really, like, are you thinking, great, this is going to implode maybe quicker than my situation is? This is perfect. What is his mindset? Because, like, you just made a whole point about how they shouldn't think about each other. I, I totally agree with that. I've long been on that train, too. But when you have another the SEC school in your state make another hire, it's at least going to consciously cross your mind in terms of recruiting, stuff like that. What do you think he's thinking? Uh, I have a feeling he's not happy about it because Matt Luke being at Ole Miss was good for Joe Moorhead, obviously. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it very well, as we've said a thousand times, Lane Kiffin could crash and burn at Ole Miss. But if you want to talk about game day preparation, if you want to talk about your ability to win that game, and Mississippi State very well could be in the same situation next year. Even though I think the front end of their schedule uh, is a little bit easier and they could get off to a pretty hot start. I know they go to NC State, I think, in week two. Uh, but I really like Garrett Schrader. And even though that I think Kylan Hill is going to be gone, they're still pretty good at running back. They'll still be pretty good up front. And I think Schrader's going to end up being a good quarterback. They should start like 4-0. Um, so they'll probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of 7-4, and four, I think, going into that game. But if you're talking about winning that football game, it's going to be more difficult because there's a significantly better football coach in Oxford than there was at this point a few weeks ago. And if Kiffin puts the staff together that people say he's going to, recruiting in this state is going to be a little bit tougher. Not that Matt Luke was a bad recruiter, but you saw a bunch of kids for the last three years, the best kids in this state, go elsewhere. And that's still probably going to happen to some degree. 
But a guy like Lane Kiffin is more equipped to keep the high-profile guys in the state than Matt Luke was. I agree. I've got a couple more thoughts on that, but we need to take a break to tell you. Podcast brought to you by LB's, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg is going absolutely bonkers with the sales right now. I'm looking at a picture of a bacon wrap filet that's called the Lane Train Filet, $10 each. He's got that sale going on. He has a $15 Keith Carter special, an 8-ounce filet. He's got the $10 Lane Kiffin special, a 6-ounce filet. Uh, no word on whether he will have any of that for the new volleyball coach or what that special will be. Um, but he's got all kinds of stuff going on. Go see him. University Avenue across from Kroger. He's got all kinds of plate lunches, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he's, I'm currently looking at a video from Greg's account there. He, uh, he feeds the baseball team a lot and it looks like some kind of really good brisket and spaghetti and potatoes. So you can go get a plate lunch in there and then decide what you want to throw on the grill later. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Appreciate Greg partnership. Um, I'll tell you one person that's fired the hell up about the lane train is that Greg, because Greg asked me um, earlier in the week, uh, last very early in the week, last week, if Lane Kiffin was a possibility, and this was on Monday. I said wouldn't rule anything out, but I don't think I don't see it as likely at that point. And then you know, seven days later, he's being introduced as head coach. So maybe Greg knew before all of us. He seems to have the gambling picks worked out. Maybe he's in the scooping industry as well. I'm not sure, but go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Um, Oh, one thing we wanted, I wanted to get to on the, on the, uh, that we got to on Sunday that we hadn't quite addressed today. What is he going to do with the quarterback situation? We'll start just macro, like one line or simple, and then we'll kind of get into it more. Who is the quarterback on in August of next year or September of next year when they take the first snap in Houston? Grant Tisdale. Mine's Matt Corral, but I don't hate your pick either. Um, I, I'm. For some reason, I feel like Matt Corral still might be leaving. Just because of Tisdale. Because is he, is he really going to get in another quarterback competition just to lose it again? I don't disagree, but did he really lose the last one? He shouldn't have. Well, that's the thing. Is like he didn't. It that's that was the weird part about it. Matt Corral's wasn't necessarily performance based. They just got infatuated with Plumlee's feet. Thought it was the best chance to win games in the short term, and I mean, you call it what it is here. Corral got screwed in that whole thing. I mean, I I, I get it. I spent four weeks during the middle of the season getting accused as a Corral stand, as if I give one iota of a shit about what have, what who plays quarterback for Ole Miss, but like. We call it what it is. He got screwed. Like absolutely. whether he was going to he got absolutely screwed out of that whole deal. And so, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it's not like he's been like I, I wouldn't. If I were in Matt Corral's mindset, I wouldn't be of the opinion I've already been beaten out once. I'm going to leave now. There might be other reasons he wants to leave, but I don't think he would be that. <laughs> Obviously, and this this system and, will fit him so much better and. If you had, there's a lot of local people that talk about Corral and his inability to go through progressions, and he stares down his first read, and if it's not there, he'll either risk it or or whatever. But there is a much better person in place to actually develop him and get him to go through progressions and work on his tendencies and inconsistency. There is a guy now that literally took Jake Coker, won a national championship with Jake Coker, and took Blake Sims to another one. Say what you yeah, want about Alabama's talent around guy, these guys. Say. Yeah, that, that, exactly. But I was, was going to say, Blake Sims is probably best example now. 
Yeah, and because, yes, it's Alabama, and they, they've won titles and stuff with not great quarterbacks, but Blake Sims went to Alabama to play running back. There, there is a guy now that is so much better equipped to make Matt Corral into what his potential is because he's got the skill set to be a really good quarterback. He's not there yet because he's only had four starts in his entire life, and now he's got somebody that can shape him into that. I do – and the limited action I've seen, I think Grant Tisdale throwing the football, though, is the – it just looks so good coming out of his arm. And, and his mechanics are so polished. And, I mean, he he also could be a very good quarterback in the right system with the right coaching. See, I seem to be of that opinion, too, from the little I saw of pra- in practice and the very, very little game action he got, that being literally just the one game. But from people I talked to that on the previous staff, and it's, it, it, I mean, spoiler alert, I'm not talking to Rich Rodriguez here, seemed to think that he was a full, complete step behind Corral. And maybe it's just because they're a year apart and the year's difference. And then when I, I originally kind of kind of started asking around when he transferred, I was like, hey, what's up with this? Like, is, is there any reason to, I mean, basically I was kind of like, uh, hey, is there any reason to be concerned they let, you know, the guy from the number one high school program in the country walk in favor of a running guy that's going to play baseball and no one's seen it. Maybe if they were just all aboard at the time and, you know, they can't really say anything about against it, but they were kind of like, no, he may crush it at Houston or North Texas. And that was kind of the more of the vibe I got, which I found that surprising. And so I guess that's something we'll figure out this spring. But if Matt Corral, I guess is kind of of the opinion that he is better than Tisdale and can beat him out wouldn't you kind of want to stay? Because as we talked about last week, he's got two options here. He's got an option to leave and go to his new program and sit out. Or he's got an option to stay, feel it out, compete for the starting job. If it doesn't work out, he can graduate and be a grad transfer eligible immediately to play two years left. It's just which one, which option he prefers. Yeah, and you could even go through spring I mean, if and just see how that goes and then transfer after the spring. Because if you're sitting out next year, I mean, there's no point of being with your team for a, a spring practice when you're still a year and a half away uh, from being eligible there. So going through spring, which that's another interesting layer of this too. What do you think Lane Kiffin thinks about his um, starting quarterback, if you want to call it that, uh, playing baseball and not being at every spring practice to learn his system? What do you think he thinks about that? I've got an interesting tidbit. I'm glad you brought this up that I uh, came across last night. And I am uh, – I'm kind of decided if I want to share this and kind of how much because I, I don't have this. I'll put it to you this way for right now is that Plumlee really wants to play baseball very, very badly. He wants to make that happen. And if this new staff does not let him play baseball, there is a chance he may go somewhere else other than Ole Miss. That would, uh, and I, I, I the, the, tip I got last night was a little more detailed than that and actually kind of outlined a fairly wild thing, but I don't want to say anything irresponsible that I can't verify that I love. I'm working on that this week, but yes, I I think he very much wants to play baseball. And so I I think if, to answer your question, I think if Lane Kiffin doesn't want to let that happen, then doesn't that mean he's kind of out of the picture? Because it seems like Plumlee's not budging on this baseball thing from everything I'm hearing. He wants to play baseball. Well, then if you're not going to budge on that. If you're Lane Kiffin, and look, he may not care. He, it may not bother him at all. He's like, yeah, whatever, play baseball, I'll see you in the summer. But 
it, it kind of feels like to me, and I could be way off base here, but it feels like Kiffin will use Plumlee the way he probably should be used. Which is in a limited role, change of pace, basically run a wildcat with a guy that actually kind of, more than kind of, that, that can actually throw the football. But I just, I'd be really surprised if with the potential that you have at quarterback with Tisdale and Corral still in your quarterback room, they would continue to have Plumlee in a full-time role instead of having a true quarterback and using him as a dynamic playmaker that he can be in different roles. I would be really surprised if Kiffin just goes all in on Plumlee like Rich Rod and Matt Luke did. Because the- I, I agree with what you're saying. But like you talk about the wildcat role, that to me, as as we both said for the entire year, is the way it should have been used this past year. But I don't think that's what Plumley wants. Well, then and, then you need to go to not the SEC. See, I, I was a hundred percent on board with this, and then the egg bowl happened, which could be a sentence uttered in a lot of different in a lot of different <laughs> contexts. But. I, I, I still tend to agree, and I still tend to side with this, but the egg bowl was the first time they really let him push the ball down the field, and he actually looked okay. You had that one drive where he hit three different receivers and made three pretty mid-deep-level, uh, uh, sophisticated-ish throws. And so, like, I, I, I'm, I'm obviously there's a high school sample size here where he, you know, he had a couple games where he completed, they won games where he completed like five and six passes. But is it how he's being used, or can he not throw? Which one That's a good it? question. And I, I, was, I don't know. It, it very well could be that. Uh, he, he does need a lot of work, and so does Corral, and so does Tisdale. But uh, especially when he's under pressure, uh, his presence in the pocket needs a ton of work. I mean, that led to two costly ton- turnovers that probably lost them two games. Texas A&M... And then the Egg Bowl. Yeah. The inability, its he kind of panicked and didn't really know what to do when facing pressure while trying to throw the football from the pocket. Yep, and that's something that you can learn. I mean, that's a learned thing that a guy like Lane Kiffin can teach very much. I just, I'm with you. It's tough. It's really tough. And, you know, that's why you pay the guy $4 million a year to make those kind of decisions I just I still envision this offense where you have a, a Corral or a Tisdale or whoever that can that really has arm talent. Not well, you know, maybe if they work really hard this offseason, it could be better. Like right now, they've got arm talent. They are capable of being like thirty five hundred yard passers next season type arm talent. And you use Plumley in roles that fits his skill set more. Like Taysom Hill is a quarterback. He can still throw the football pretty well. He shows flashes of it. But then he also does things where you see that that's why he's not a full-time starter at the position. But then they line him up at running back, and he does well there. Then they line him up at tight end, and that Plumlee's not as big as Taysom Hill, so it would be like a slot receiver. But they get him the football. He could play quarterback. Sean Payton swears that he's the next Dan Marino. I don't buy it. But he could play quarterback. But he is more useful to them in these other roles because his skill set fits those roles more than it does the quarterback position. I love the way they use him. And it, it, they need to use him more, almost. 
But the way they use him is perfect for his skill set. And if Ole Miss could do the same thing with Plumlee, and you still have Jerry on Ely, you still presumably will have Elijah Moore. You've got an offense with a bunch of talented skill players. And once you get a quarterback that can distribute the football across the board, you're deadly. And even though he looked better in the Egg Bowl, I still don't think – I think there's a ceiling with Plumley and throwing the football in that offense compared to if they get Tisdale or Matt Corral ready. I agree. I uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we get to I, – I forgot this last week was your first week on the job. I always task Colin with uh, divvying up the pick'em results. I need to start doing that now, and I forgot to do it. Um, we'll have the results on Friday's show. Not that anyone actually cares what they went, because if they actually faded us, they probably did pretty well. But uh, got any NFL thoughts, I guess, since I don't have the pick since I don't have the pick numbers? It was kind of a weird week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what the hell happened to the Saints secondary? Um, that, was, uh, that was rough. Really good game, though. I just, um, if they continue playing like that, I mean, I know they won a game in Seattle what feels like an, an eternity ago, but Jimmy Garoppolo's good and those 49ers receivers are good, but won't you see better in the playoffs? I mean, you'll see a better, and maybe it's marginal, but you'll see a better quarterback in Russell Wilson throwing the football down the field with probably better receivers. You'll see one of the greatest all-time, potentially, in Aaron Rodgers. If you give up 48 points to the freaking 49ers at home, how the hell are you going to beat Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson in the playoffs? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, 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 I watched a lot of that game. I had the red zone on, and I was doing some other stuff as well. But, like, I don't know. That seemed like an NFC title preview, just the, def- the bad defense aside. It was. If I wasn't emotionally invested, that would have been fun as hell to watch because it was just back and forth too, man. It it was a what offense had the ball last type of thing. Like the Saints scored too quickly. You knew deep down when you gave Jimmy G over a minute left in the way the Saints defense were playing that day that you scored too quickly. Yep. That was a uh, that was the game of the week, I think, unless I'm forgetting one. Probably the game of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Patriots are done. Not done, but I don't think the Patriots are representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I know it, like that's the take everyone likes to die on every year, but this year seems actually different. They uh, they can't score. I know they kind of got screwed out of a couple calls in that game, but they don't they don't score very well. So like I don't really know what they're like. Brady just doesn't have the talent around him. I don't think necessarily as crazy it is at 42. He's I don't think you're seeing as much of a decline of Brady as, like, these receivers are terrible. Yeah, and, of course, it, it, that's going to be the hot take, right, is that Brady's done, he's a bum. And maybe, not maybe, he's not the guy that he was 10 years ago, but he's still really capable. He's just got no weapons. I mean, look at what he's got versus what Drew Brees has. And you tell me why one of them is having a better year than the other. Yeah, I mean, other than Edelman, none of those guys get open. Like, and they kind of—it's interesting because they've spent capital the last couple of years on guys like Sony Michelle, Nikhil Harry, 
know, they tried the AB thing. They tried the Josh Gordon thing, and it just hasn't worked. And now they're left with a bunch of dudes that can't get open, and they did really nothing to address the fact that they were losing, like, the greatest one of the greatest tight ends ever. That seems problematic. Um, Matt Luke went official uh, with Georgia, so. Good for him. I, uh, I mean, I am not Matt Luke, obviously, but I would have taken at least a year off and just counted my money and not had to deal with the crap you have to deal as an SEC head coach and try to do anything but think about, like, you know, how, like, the way things ended at his alma mater and all that. But if he wants to get back into coaching, that's a hell of a place to do it and learn for Kirby Smart. So I guess a, a, a decent way to wrap up here, because um, there wasn't really much else noteworthy in the NFL, was there? I mean, like, like the Ravens squeaked by. Lamar didn't have a good game for the second game in a row or a great game, but you never felt like they were losing that. Like, not really much else happened. The Rams had a Your Tennessee Titans is what happened. Yeah, they're the hottest team in football right now. Like, I say that, like, all, like no talk in cheek at all. They are uh, – Ryan Tannehill has that team uh, playing unbelievable football. They have the Texans twice in the next three weeks. They've got a shot at the division, which they better do that because they, they're not gaining any ground in the wild card because of some dude named Duck Hodges. They're 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 not in the playoffs as of today because they're obviously they haven't played Houston yet, and they have them twice in the last three weeks. So they're technically not in the division lead, even though they have the same record. And Pittsburgh has the tiebreaker of them in the wild card. So like, they better hope they win the division because I'm not. I think Mike Tomlin's getting this team to the playoffs. I think they will win that division, don't you? I mean, I guess it sucks that they have the Saints sandwiched in between the, the two Texans games, but at least it's at home. Yeah, they're playing much better than the Texans are right now. I think you just have to count on beating the Texans twice or beating them once and hope they kind of throw up down their uh, – you kind of hope the Texans kind of stumble down the stretch, I guess. Who's got the tiebreaker between Pittsburgh and Tennessee? Well, I guess it is Pittsburgh because they're sitting ahead of them right now, but why? I don't know why. It's, it's one of the – they haven't played each other, so I'm guessing it's one of those percentages things where it's like they're out of division record, in division record, whatever the hell the NFL uses that I don't know. I'm guessing that's what it is. So they are – Pittsburgh 6-3 and three in the conference. The Titans are 6-4. and four. That's, that's probably it. what it is. That's um, crazy. But last thing before we get out of here, Matt Luke, now the offensive line coach at Georgia – is he ever a major head coach again? I know this sounds nuts because I know like the qualifications and all that when it happened, but he's about to go work for Kirby Smart. He's only what? Is he forty one? Uh, I don't know. That I don't know. The top of my head, I'm about to look this up right now. I mean, like, are you? Are we going to look up at five years before and going to go? Oh wait. Oh, this study was 48, but I'm actually – I looked up an old minor league baseball player from Long Beach, California. I don't think that's who we're <laughs> talking about here. Um, like, Because nice. people – we live in such a microwave society that – like even – he's 43. And even when I pose this question right now, people are probably sitting here listening thinking, oh, what the hell are you talking about? Of course not. He had no qualifications to be head coach in the first place. Okay, how about a half decade working under Kirby Smart and then – Memphis or well, Kirby. I mean, Kirby Smart's not going to help him with his late game management, though. No, that's true. But it's just the idea of working under Kirby Smart. And in five years, if working under South Alabama comes open and he goes and does okay at South Alabama in 2029, and we're sitting there going, Matt Luke deserves a decent shot. He did a decent job, but a terrible situation. Like, is he going to get a second shot? Like, is that going to happen? It seems more realistic than I think people may want to lead on to believe. Yeah, at least now he can go. Or, or at least you hope he can go on the natural progression to becoming a head coach. 
and not getting offered a job that he shouldn't have been offered? Yeah, I mean that's the kind of the the kind of similar to the Kiffin thing is like the, the like having untraditional career trajectories, particularly when it fails, really kind of sets you back more than a traditional one would. But good for him. Uh, probably familiar place. Athens is not that different than Oxford, just bigger. Like I mean, it's not like he's going to like I don't know somewhere in the Northeast. I think he'll probably enjoy it there. Um, so good for him. He's a good dude in a business that has a bunch of frauds. So happy for Matt Luke. You got anything else or we can we get out of here? Now let's get out of here. We'll uh, we'll do the mailbag Friday and uh, first. Well, this is my first episode of Joey Fresh Potter, which I'm working on getting us some nice uh, graphics and stuff for it. If the, if this really what you want to do, oh, is I'm go in. with How Joey Fresh Potter. Changed? How do you get the name changed? Uh, you have to go into uh, our hosting website that you actually post the podcast to. And, SoundCloud. Uh, you, yeah, you have to change it in there. Okay. Well, I'll work and on it. And then it should change on iTunes. On I'm all in on it then. That uh that definitely works. I'll look into that today. We'll have the uh LB's pick 'em on Friday. We really don't have any college games to get into other than I guess like Army Navy in that this week. And then That's it. Yeah. we'll we'll go through some NFL, some different stuff. One more time, go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. He's got all kinds of crazy deals going around the lane train special, bacon wrap fillets. He's got all kinds of stuff, steaks, custom cuts. Really appreciate Greg sponsoring the podcast. Go see him, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. All right, dude, I'm getting out of here. I'll see you this afternoon, and then we'll be back at it on Friday. So no pod tomorrow, no pod Thursday, but we went a pretty good while today, so that tied you over till Friday. But for Michael Borky, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.